Isaiah 57. Hey, Miles. Miles. Do I, do I need to move forward or back? Back? More circles. <laughs> I'll try that. I think I'm getting worse. What's that? Sail. Getting louder. There. How about that? Okay. I'm in the zone. It's the spirit telling me what to say. It's got to have the gift of you got to have the gift of interpretation to understand. Um, you never backslide. Actually, it's saying. Actually, it was saying, "Don't make a stupid joke." That's what it's saying. Not, not to you, Mark. Who's saying it to me? So, um, what's that, Miles? Oh, we're recording. Great. It's nice to know this goes in the history of Harvest. No one listens to Wednesday nights anyway. Um, Isaiah. Actually, we left off uh, last week. Uh, Jonathan filled in for me and did a great topical there on eternal perspective. So we actually left off. We did chapter 55 a couple weeks ago, uh, but we had done 56 the week before. So we're actually in chapter 57. And we're going to do 57, 58, and 59 tonight. Now, the reason I like this is because, once again, in the book of Isaiah, this forms a theme. And I don't know how many times you've heard me say this, so forgive me for the repetition. When the Bible was initially written, it was not broken down into chapters and verses. And so therefore, what happens is, as you go through this, 57, 58, and 59 are kind of one complete thought that all go together. So we're actually going to start out tonight in 59 jumping back into 57 and also go into some in 58 and we're going to be all around and don't think we're jumping around and not in a concise order but 57, 58 and 59 form this nice thought that we want to talk about. So with that being said, Isaiah 59 verses 1 through 3. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, and your tongue has muttered perversity. Now those are some tough verses right there. Some very tough verses. Now, as we get ready to dig into this, have you ever had a moment in your life where you felt like you were not close to the Lord? Now, I heard a teaching one time from a pastor that I really liked, and he said, don't run from wilderness times. A lot of times in our Christian walk, when we have what I call a wilderness time where we don't really feel like we're clicking with God, sometimes we say we've got to get out of the wilderness. If you look throughout the Bible, God uses wilderness times all the time. Any great man of God went through wilderness time. Before Paul could become the Apostle Paul, he spent three and a half years in the wilderness with the Lord. David had a wilderness time being t chased by Saul. You know, Elijah had a wilderness time. So often as Christians, when we're in this wilderness time, we feel like we have to find the first way out. And what do I mean by a wilderness time? I mean a time where you feel just, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where are you calling me? What's going on? You feel like you're praying and there's just not an answer. You feel like you're reading and maybe, Lord, I'm just not seeing it. I'm not getting it. And there's almost this spiritual emptiness. You may say, well, why would the Lord do that? Well, because what the Lord likes to do is strip us of everything we think is near and dear to us and realize the only thing we need is Him. And that's what that wilderness time is for. It's to take away everything for you to reach a point of saying, okay, God, no matter what in life, it's always going to be you and me. I love my wife more than anybody else on this earth, but I realize she's going to never fulfill me. It's Jesus. And I'm never going to be able to take care of her spiritually like God can. 
We have to go through times in life where I realize it has to be me and Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying I leave my wife behind or my family behind. I'm not saying that. But when push comes to shove, it's going to be me and my walk with Jesus Christ. And then that will then filter down to the rest of my family. But that wilderness time is tough. Now the reason I bring this up is not because we're going to talk about wilderness times tonight. But sometimes the other reason why it feels like devotions are dry and you're not getting anything out of church and I'm not really feeling like the Lord's listening or anything... It's because of verses 1 through 3 of Isaiah 59. There's sin in your life. See, and this is why I have to talk about the wilderness time too. Because if you're sitting here saying, oh boy, this is me. I feel like I'm praying and I'm not hearing any answers. I feel like I don't know where the Lord wants me to go. I feel like I'm reading and Lord, it's just not applying. What do you want me to do? And then I teach on sin in your life and you're like, okay, what's the sin in my life? Lord, what's my unconfessed sin? You may not be in that position. You may just be in a spiritual wilderness time like Paul and David and Elijah where God says, I'm going to use this time of dryness to take you deeper in me. But you may also be verses 1 through 3. Now, how do you tell the difference? It's really simple. Ask God, is there an unconfessed sin in my life? Talk about a prayer that will get answered pretty quick. Lord, search my heart and try me and know me and see if there's any anxiety or iniquity in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If you ask God, Lord, reveal to me the areas I'm weak and stumbling in, you better have a pen and paper with you. He will reveal that to you. It's almost like your kid coming up to you saying, Dad, I want to be a better son. I want to be a better daughter. What do I need to do to be a better person in life? That's what you're asking God. Now, here's the question. Are you asking him legitimately? Lord, what do you want me to change? And then you don't listen for the response. If you really want to know what God wants you to change, he will tell you. He's not going to hide this from you. But if you're in a spot where, very simply put, I know what I'm doing is not right, and I know this isn't what God wants me to do, so therefore, I'm not going to do it, your spiritual life is going to seem pretty empty and dry. It really is. And it's going to feel like verses 1 through 3. God's not hearing. Well, it's not that he can't hear, but verse 2, your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. God is not saying, I don't love you. God is not saying, I don't have a relationship with you. God is saying, I would love to talk to you. But we got this sin issue that we have to deal with first. You know, and it doesn't even have to be in marriage. Maybe it's with a coworker or a friend, your spouse or whatever. But have you ever had one of those moments where you had a little bit of a spit with somebody? And you had that little bit of a fight with them? And there's this uneasiness and there's this tension and there's awkwardness. Why? Because there is this thing that is between you guys. And until that is resolved, there's always going to be this wedge. You know what it's like in your marriage when you guys are a little cool towards each other or maybe a coworker or a friend. God is saying the exact same thing right here. He's saying, unless you get your life right with me, there's always going to feel like there's this wedge between us. And until that wedge gets taken care of, the spiritual life is going to seem a little empty and dry. Now, so what do we do about this? Well, before we talk about what to do, what's the ramifications of this? Stay in chapter 59. Start in verse 9. Therefore, justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light but there is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. You want a great description of what a backslidden Christian is going through. 
Verses 9 through 15 talk about that. Verse 9, there's no light, there's darkness. There's no brightness, there's blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. We all growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none for salvation, but it's far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you. Our sins testify against us. Our transgressions are with us. As for our iniquities, we know them. That's a good verse. I've come to the conclusion, when somebody comes to me, they already know what they're doing wrong. I don't know if I've ever had an instance with somebody where they're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that was wrong. The Holy Spirit reveals sin to us. The Bible makes that clear. They know what they're doing is wrong. And it just amazes me when I do a message, and I'll do a message, and I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. I'm going to tell you right now, I promise you, I don't stand up here saying, boy, I see so-and-so's here. I'm really going to hit this point hard. No, because then that's not the Spirit. That's James. But it amazes me when somebody comes, and then they walk away, and they're ticked. Because you directed that message, right? I've had people tell me that. You were just preaching at me that whole time. And not like joking. A lot of times you guys come up to afterwards, it's like, did my wife tell you about my week? No, but the Holy Spirit did. Now, the point, though, is sometimes people come up and they're really mad. And I'm not exaggerating when I say this. We've had people leave the church because they've come to a message and they thought that message was from the pulpit, me picking them out. And I look at that, and it's like, no, it's not, because look at the end of verse 12. As for our iniquities, we know them. They were already convicted when they came in. God used the message. The only difference between coming here and listening to it on the radio, if I don't like the message on the radio, I change the station. Now, you can get up in the middle of the message and leave if you're convicted. Now, somebody's going to do that tonight. They're going to feel really bad. But sometimes you have to get up. I understand. But the point is, the Holy Spirit's the one that brings us all together. I find it fascinating. I, and I had a situation oh, a couple years ago where there was a certain subject in the Bible about a certain sin, and it doesn't pop up that often. It doesn't. And somebody came to a Wednesday night where that topic was being covered, and they said, you did that purposely. I'm not that smart. I don't have the, I mean, here are the notes. I always tell people, you want to go look at my notes first? You can. If somebody comes tonight and the message is about, I don't know, fill in the blank, the sins of uh, getting drunk. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit has always said we're going through Isaiah 57, 58, and 59. That's the beauty of verse-by-verse topic, you know, uh, chapter-by-chapter through the Bible. If it's already in these chapters, God has preordained it. That's the beauty of it. But here's the thing is, back to the point I'm saying is, they already know what's wrong. They already know what's wrong. If you talk to somebody and say, hey, should you really be doing that? I know I shouldn't be doing that. The next question is then, why are we doing that? They already know what's wrong. And what's the response? I think verse 11 sums up a lot of us. One of two things happen. Number one, we growl like bears. Have you ever talked to somebody who's convicted? Boy, they're snappy. They growl like a bear. You bring up anything to them and they're automatically ticked. They're ticked about everything at church. They're looking for a reason to get mad at the church and the body of Christ so therefore they can have a justifiable reason on why to never come back. They growl like a bear because they want to be mad and angry because they don't want to deal with the sin in their life. Or if they're not growling like a bear, moan sadly like doves. These are the ones that's like, hey, I haven't seen you at church for a while. I'm such a horrible sinner. I can't even go. Who am I to even get up? Who am I to even come to church? And they moan sadly like a dove. 
had a guy recently just moan and moan. And I kept thinking and I kept telling him, you know what, if you really are disappointed and you don't like where you're at spiritually in your life, then why not come and take steps to change your life? He just wanted to moan sadly like a dove. And this is exactly what it is. They're looking for light, verse 9, and they can't find any. They're groping through the world, verse 10. Well, maybe it's this will help me, or maybe this will help me. No, that's not going to help you. It's going to be Christ that helps you. They growl, verse 11. They moan, verse 11. And why, verse 12? Because sin is in their lives. And because since sin is in their life, verse 12, jump back to verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 59, the relationship with God is not where it's supposed to be. And that's exactly what happens. It happens to you. And it happens to me. There's been times in my life where I know I'm in a state of rebellion, where I'm either not letting things go I should let go, or I'm getting ticked about something that God says get over and I don't. And my devotion time seems dry. My prayer time seems dry. It is a burden to try to serve the Lord. Why? Because I've allowed sin into my life and it separates me from the fellowship with God the way it should be. Now, the question comes up, what do we do about that? So let's talk about this now for a second. Jump back to, if you will, Isaiah 57. Because what we have here is three things they were doing that caused this sin to come into their life. Three things they were doing. Now, before we get into this, does anybody have any first quick questions, comments about anything here we've gone over this far? Yeah, Megan. Oh, yeah. Uh, Psalm 139... Uh, 139, 23, and 24. That's the search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. No problem. Anybody else got any other quick questions, comments here before we move on? Okay. So, what are the three things they were doing wrong? Well, first one, Isaiah 57, verse 6. Among the smooth stones of the stream is your portion. They, they are your lot. Even to them you have poured a drink offering, you have offered a grain offering. Should I receive comfort in these? And one more verse, and we'll explain this. Jump ahead, if you will, to Isaiah 58, verse 2. It's the same concept here. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness. They did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They did take delight in approaching God. Now, what are we talking about here? We're talking about fake religion. See, what was happening is these people that had sin in their life that did not have the relationship with the Lord and the sin had separated them, well, Isaiah 57, verse 6, they were offering up these drink offerings, grain offerings, and look at the question that God asks at the end of verse 6. Should I receive comfort in these? Do you think I take pleasure in this? Now, we don't do drink offerings and grain offerings today, but you know what? There's people that look like they have a good relationship with the Lord, but inside there is no relationship and God's like, wait a second, you want me to get happy that you're serving back in the Sunday school classroom? You want me to get happy about you serving, doing this, ministering here, reading this? He goes, should I take comfort in this? What is it? It's just a fake, false religious offering. God says there's no relationship with me. And how many of us came out of churches or know of churches or groups, etc., where it's just full of this fake religion? Where there's a lot of hoop jumping and there's a lot of things that look good, but at the same time, too, there is not that real relationship with the Lord. Yeah, Carly. Dividing from the sheep and the goats is actually Matthew chapter 25. And what Matthew chapter 25 is, is at the end of the millennial reign, 
um, excuse me, at the end of the uh, tribulation period, God separates the sheep from the goats, and the sheep get to go into the millennial reign, and the goats are the ones that are considered uh, not saved that don't get to go into the millennial reign. Yeah. Yeah, similar concept, similar concept. What you're talking about is that passage of, um, of uh, when did we feed you, when did we you know, give you water, etc. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's okay. Sheeps and the goats is an important thing. That's, that's actually Matthew chapter 25, though. Good question, though. But what this is kind of also talking about here is, once again, that fake thing of going through the motions of grain offerings, drink offerings, etc. And then if you look in Isaiah 58, which we already read, yet they seek me daily, a delight to know my ways. And you may say, okay, well, this sounds good. Well, what this verse is really trying to say here is this is the way they present themselves. New Living Translation reads it like this. They act so pious... They come to the temple every day. They seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. And see, and this is what it is. It's a fake religion. Of where it looks good, it sounds good, but there really is no relationship with it. And that's the first thing God says about Israel. See, if you would go back in time and look at Israel now, you know, 3,500, 4,000 years ago, you would say, hey, they look pretty good. God says, yeah, they look real good. problem is there's not a real relationship. So the first thing we have to do is take a look in the spiritual mirror and say, okay, is there a real relationship with Christ? And I mean more than just that idea of obviously being saved is important here. It's vital. But is there really that desire to want to go deeper in him and that desire to really say, Lord, this is what I want of you? Because back there they looked good, they sounded good, but they didn't have it. So that was the first thing they were doing wrong. Next thing they were doing wrong... Stay in Isaiah 57, is verse 10. You are wearied in the length of your way, yet you did not say there is no hope, yet you have found the life of your hand, therefore you were not grieved. What is he trying to say there? It says they were wearied in the length of their way. What he's trying to say here very simply is this. They put all this effort into seeking and trying to go deeper. What were they trying to seek and go deeper in? Sin. That's what they were trying to do. See, if you go back from verses 7 through 9, the whole point is they're wanting to go deeper in sin. They're taking all their effort they have to find new ways to sin. And what God is saying is, wait a second. You're instead of seeking me, you're seeking the pleasures of the world. That's what you're doing. Once again, the New Living Translation says this, You grew weary in your search, but you never gave up. Desire gave you renewed strength. You did not grow weary. Did not grow weary in what? Seeking things out. Now, verses 7 through 9 here, it's talking about idolatry, and it's talking about uh, you know, a lot of different things that is cultural to them. But don't you see people today that seek out sin? Seek out sin left and right? They put all this effort into sin. I just don't get it. All this effort into sin. And you think, boy, if they would just put a half that effort into going deeper in their walk with the Lord, how much different would it make? Have you ever had something you really wanted bad? and you were saving up for it, and you literally put every penny you had towards it, this is that same type of concept. This is all you can think about. you got that picture in your notebook. you got that picture up on the fridge. you got whatever, and every extra penny you have, you're going to put towards it. What God is basically saying is, take that desire and desiring to go deeper in me. And it's amazing what comes out of that. And this is what happened is, they were so focused on sin... They lost their relationship with the Lord, which takes us to the last thing they did, verse 11, Isaiah 57, of whom you have been afraid or feared that you all have lied and not remembered me, 
nor taken it to your heart. What's the last thing they did? They forgot God. They did not remember me, nor taken it to your heart. It's fascinating. King James, the word forgot is used eight times in the Bible. Seven out of those eight times all deal with the concept of forgetting God. There's only one verse in the entire King James Bible that talks about forgetting something. All other references are about forgetting God. Now you may think, how can you forget God? I forget God all the time. I'll have a big issue come up, and I analyze how I should handle it. I'll call Rich. I'll email Renee. I'll talk to this person. What did I forget to do? I forgot God. I should probably pray and ask him first. I can go through a big day and get through all this stuff, get up early and knock down my to-do list. It's like, you know, I forgot to take some time this morning to spend it with the Lord. It's amazing what we forget to do. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, you know, Dawn and I are, are big, you know, we love the Atlanta Braves and we love getting a chance to watch this into as much as we can. So what we found is out online is you can actually listen to the ball games. You can get this uh, baseball package where you can listen to the games online. And I just love listening to uh, ball games online. I know growing up as a kid, we always used to listen to WJR, the Tigers play. And so just as love it. So we got this package where you can listen to the baseball games online. It's funny. I can tell you right now who the Braves are going to play, when they're going to play, and I know when it is so I can get my computer turned on to listen to it. I will never forget that game. But yet, I can forget to do simple things like praying. I can forget to do things like, you know what, I should probably should seek the Lord over this. It's amazing how we forget God. The most amazing, infinite thing in the entire universe, but yet we forget about Him. And this is what happened to Israel. They forgot their relationship with the Lord. I love that phrase, verse 11, nor taken it to your heart. That's a great point. Have we really put this idea of a relationship with God in our heart, desiring it? Because put this all together now. If you just go through the motions with religion, you're going to be separated from the Lord in the sense of not a real relationship. If you're constantly seeking out what makes you happy and desire and sin, the next party, whatever, you're not going to have that real relationship with the Lord. And lastly, if you forget God, He's an afterthought to you in your daily life, you're not going to have that real strong relationship with them. It's going to be Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 all over again. It's not that God can't hear you. It's just that there's all these wedges in the way. So what's the answer to fix all this? Jump back now if you go to Isaiah 59. It's kind of interesting. The answer for this is not found in us in any way whatsoever. You would think the answer would be for us to do this or that. Well, the real answer... It's found in Isaiah 59. Look at the last half of verse 15. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. God saw all this. He saw the fake religion. He saw the desire for sin and not him. He saw them forgetting God. So what's his answer? Verse 16. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, his own righteousness that sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, according he will repay. Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, the coastlands he will fully repay, so they shall fear. The name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. 
and the Redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. Now, if you would stop right there, you would say, okay, so God's really just angry? Well, you've got to get to the whole concept. Look at verse 21. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who's upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouths of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. God says, my word I'm putting in your mouth. And what's that word? God's word doesn't return void. Remember, that's what we just went over in Isaiah chapter 55. God says that I'm going to come. And how am I going to fix this problem? Did you not see verse 16? 16 is one of the greatest prophecies about Jesus. He saw there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. There's no intercessor to fix this problem between us and God the Father. So what does he do? Verse 16, therefore his own arm brought salvation for him. God says, you guys can't fix this problem. I'm going to fix it for you. My own arm is going to do it. Jesus. His own righteousness, it sustained him. God says, you can't do your own righteousness. I'll do it for you. Coming up in a little bit here is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Isaiah 64, 6, where it talks about our, our works are like filthy rags. Our best day, we're still unholy. God says, your righteousness can't do it. Your arm can't do it. It has to be me. Because you know why what happens? We sit here and we look at these three things. We start figuring out what we're going to do to fix this. Okay, I'm not going to do this anymore, and I'm going to do this. I'm going to make myself go deeper in the Lord. I have realized that the only way I go deeper in the Lord is when I really quiet my heart and just say, okay, Lord, it's you and me. That's what it comes down to. It's you and me. Lord, you speak to my heart. You help me to go deeper in you because that's what I desire. So often I see people that want to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, fix all their own problems, and say, you know what? I'm going backwards instead of forwards. I know what I'm going to do. I'll be in counseling with somebody and we'll be talking about how their life is going backwards. Their marriage is falling apart. Their life's falling apart. Whatever it is. I know what I need to do. Yep, I know what I need to do. I'm going to go home and I'm going to do it. There's a lot of eyes in there. Really, what God is trying to say here in verse 16 is, you can't do it. Your arm's not strong enough to do it. It has to be me. My salvation, my righteousness. Look at the last phrase here in verse 16, as my new King James says. It says, it sustained him. It has to come through Christ and Christ alone. What is our part? Our part, last verse here, verse 11, Isaiah 58 The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones and you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water who waters do not fail. If you're going through a dry time right now, if that dry time is just a dry time of the Lord where he says, I'm going to take you through this wilderness to strip you of everything so you focus on me. Focus on verse 11. God will guide you continually. He will satisfy your soul. Are you in a drought right now spiritually? God will satisfy your soul. He will strengthen your bones. He will be like a watered garden. He will get you through it. If you're in a spiritual drought right now, and maybe there's something wrong in your life, Isaiah 59, 1 through 10, God says, take care of the sin problem with me. And then jump back to Isaiah 58, verse 11. Because that's the beauty of this. If there's something wrong, and there's something you know you shouldn't do, as verse 12 of Isaiah 59 says, as for our iniquities, we know them. Wow then isn't it the smart thing to do is to take care of the sin problem? And I think that's the point that God was trying to get across here to Israel. It's like, guys, you know what you're doing wrong. You know it. you got this fake, false religion where everything looks really good, but your heart's desire is sin. You forgot me, and you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's spiritually by doing these fake offerings that mean nothing. 
It's a real relationship with me. And he says, if that's what you desire, if that's what you want, he goes, that's what I want too. And that's what you see here in Isaiah 57, 58, and 59, is letting go of the false, sticking with the true, and realizing that sin will hurt fellowship. And you know what? You may not be in a spot right now where a sin is in your life, but I bet you know somebody who it is. I bet you've got a loved one right now where you know that, hey, there's something in their life that's hurting them and keeping them from going deeper in the Lord. I highly encourage you. Encourage them. Point them in the right direction. Pray for them and let the Lord speak to the heart. Because that's what it has to come down to. It has to come down to them and the Lord. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here before we go ahead and close up? All right. If not, let's pray. Lord, we come to you now and, um, Lord, we all go through dry times. Lord, if there's someone here tonight that's going through a dry time, and um, it's just a dry time. Encourage them. Let them know that you have got them in that wilderness for a reason, and you're going to use that wilderness time to take them deeper in you. Lord, that's a hard place to be. No one wants to be in the wilderness, but help us stick to our bread and our water, Lord, you, the bread of life and the water of life. Lord, if there's someone here tonight that is, hey, this is me. There's sin in my life, and I know it. Lord, take them down the path of righteousness. Show them the things that need to be changed. But most importantly, Lord, Give us a heart that desires you more than anything else. Give us a heart that desires fellowship with you. And Lord, it may not be us, but we all know somebody who's moving backwards instead of forwards. We pray for them right now. We pray that their hearts would be made right in you. And Lord, we pray that they would have a desire to do what's right. Lord, speak to their heart and show them that. We lift this up in your name. Amen.